Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food production and food consumption. For those of you that tune in on Tuesday simply to hear Andrew Henderson from the UK, well, Sorry, Jay Truett and I are not yeah. as important as we need to be for him today, so he's off doing his own thing. Yeah, no, I I actually began to think that maybe that's what the show should be about today, is how important it is to be responsible, to be a responsible <laughs> adult. <laughs> Where would we start? Uh, and who would be the example? <laughs> Boy, it wouldn't be, I don't it, think I'm going to qualify. Uh-uh, no, I was going to say it won't be either one of us, but I'm sure we could name our wives or something like that. Everything would be fine. It would be good to go. Oh, yeah. No, I listen, I get it. Andrew, uh, Andrew is busy working today, off, trying to make the world a better place. He's so got a him. couple of, of uh, Danish fellers with him, and I don't know. He's probably trying to persuade them into putting a sheet over his clamp uh yep because <laughs> for those of you that don't know we had a lot of fun with that early on what we call a bunker they call a clamp so he's <laughs> filling his clamp he's, yeah right well again i i wish him the best today and and uh we'll uh we won't talk about him except when we can think of something that's really funny to say about it. So, <laughs> who were who were you not going to talk about? I forgot. <laughs> well, that guy that used to be on your show. You remember back when? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. S- seeing as how you're the rooted one, and as much as I like to stray away from what everybody else is talking about, I have to ask you what what the heck is going on? Did Gavin Newsom really appoint somebody that doesn't even live in his state to be the senator yeah. for, to fill Feinstein's no, I, position. Did that really happen? <laughs> I really, I really do think that that is like the funniest story of the year so far is that California, the largest state uh, population wise in the United States, got a chance to pick a new senator, right, to replace Diane Feinstein. And lo and behold, they just decided instead to get somebody from Maryland uh, that had been to California once. And, uh, Seriously, and, is it, can you even do this? Is this constitutional? Well, uh, technically, I think they can name whoever they want to name. Wow. Yeah. And she may maintain, a, uh, she may still have like a California driver's license, right? Um, she is a California native. Uh, I'm not even for sure about that. Now, all of a sudden, it's become, there's like a whole bunch of questions about where she's really lived her whole life, right? We may find out that she walked off of a spaceship in Roswell, New Mexico, and yeah. and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it, it's, you, you know that they did enough of, I mean, surely they did enough of a background check on the lady to know that her, you know, that she's living in Maryland. Um, she's, for goodness sake, she's been one of the key figures of Emily, Emily's List, which is a, a Democrat National Committee fundraising mechanism that raises um, money for women, um, especially women 
in Congress, but secondarily then uh, members of Congress that would support women's issues. And uh, for about 20 years, it was abortion was the issue because they kind of gave up on on uh, the whole equal rights amendment thing. Um, but it, I mean, I, I I'm I was just baffled when I I actually saw the 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 nomination right, and the very first thing I thought was, well, number one, who in the heck is this? In all the years <laughs> that I lobbied, I didn't travel in this lady's circle, right? But I then when I start reading about her, I realize, well, of course I wouldn't know her. I didn't travel in those circles. Um, she's the uh, you know, I can't really say anything about her. I've tried to actually find honest to goodness kind of firsthand accounting of her um, from people that I know, and I actually don't even know any. It's more than seven steps to Kevin Bacon between her and I. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I, 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 I thought for I can't a minute find anybody that knows her that knows her. Right. Um, I I thought for a minute that. Things had gotten so tough in California from a financial standpoint that Newsom appointed somebody <laughs> that to could just money. drive there instead of fly across the country. Yeah, yeah. she can actually catch a bus from where she lives. <laughs> There's like, wait a minute, I'll be there to vote. The 121 is running a little late this morning. But you First, can't count on, you know, down there, down in that portion of uh, the state where she lives if she gets on the far extreme ends of the metro the 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 subway system they call it the metro in dc um that's where it's been running off the tracks and crashing constantly so that's not even safe she's she, literally got to ride the bus she and, lives in baltimore yeah uh, well, I probably one of the suburbs of Baltimore right. because yeah. if, if she lives in Baltimore, you, her picture would have showed her like with brass knuckles in one hand, uh, a mask <laughs> on and a knife in the other hand. Yeah, it's become tough, tough uh, place now downtown I, Baltimore. I did remember see a, a picture. A member, yeah, she's, a member she's of Congress pretty... got. No, I'm sorry. No, I'll just I, I can just leave it there. She's she's pretty. She doesn't need brass yeah. knuckles. Oh yeah, no, she is a pretty lady, but yeah. again, if you're gonna live in that part of Baltimore, looks don't count. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a member of Congress got carjacked last night, uh, or over the weekend in uh, just south of the um, the U.S. Capitol, like just a couple of blocks is Henry Cuellar, right? Um, who's and who's not some crazy nightclubber type, right? There are a couple of members of Congress that do the whole nightclub scene there. I promise you, Henry Cuellar is absolutely not that guy. He's not. Was it illegal? Uh, uh, they don't really know what happened yet. They yeah. they don't really have a suspect, but um, or they didn't, um, the last report I looked at. But he's this really nice, he really is a really nice guy. He and I probably don't always agree on on politics but he's a really nice man a good family man has a great family you know um and is one of those honest to goodness church leaders that you know uh, works really hard to try to figure out how to do the right thing we just happen to disagree on politics but um uh, so i i kind of wish him the best right i hope i hope it didn't really harm him i'm aware of yeah. a couple people that have gone through this, but this is the second carjacking of a member of Congress. 
in the last year or so under the Joe Biden regime. Sounds I mean, like a trend. You've got to think about that. You know, I mean, some people would look at it and say, well, 433 to go, you know. Uh, we're going to get something <laughs> from them. We'll get those. Half of them have car and driver, right? But Henry's the kind of guy that would just drive himself, you know. And uh, a lot of them have somebody drive them uh, to avoid this kind of thing and to, to kind of help manage security. But Yeah, it'd be interesting to know how many of those drivers are packing. Oh, I would say, of well, of the ones that are staff, probably none, because the staff are real weenies about stuff like that. But Drivers aren't uh, staff. They're hired by the car company, I'll bet. No, well, a bunch of staff actually get hired so they can really go be the driver. And just, oh, really? Take the member around, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you see that happen on a regular basis. When you get elected, you'll understand how to take advantage of all those caveats. Maybe okay. I can be your driver, and yeah. if that's the case, trust me, I'm not going to be. I'm not, when, I, I'm when not I'm elected, you can be my driver. Just okay. don't even expect Good. a phone call. I'll just say, you, yeah, you'll I'll just, just know. show up. Yeah, you'll I'll just, just know. know. Just show up in my pickup. Listen, I will clean out all the crap and needles and syringes and stuff. Um, and med animal medications in the back. Yeah, I'm seat. glad you added that animal medications because yeah. you, you know in our vehicles, you if you give some people who are not farm people rides in your vehicle from time to time, they look around, they're like, "What the heck do you guys do in here?" <laughs> yeah, no, I I told I did tell somebody once we were kind of so we're making a joke, you know, about this is all people should just understand that. Um, one of the qualifications to be a redneck, the good kind of redneck, not the bad kind, right? But a good kind of redneck is is that you laugh at death, misery, and suffering, right? And you really don't want people to die, but there's bound to be something funny in what happened. Uh, and a guy had a wreck that didn't look too bad. I was in the coffee shop here the other day, and they were talking about the wreck that it occurred, you know, and I'd driven past it. I said, well, it didn't look too bad. And he goes, no, it wasn't, but he was stabbed by 75 syringes in the chest <laughs> that were on the dash of his truck. <laughs> so we're he, uh, we're he, back uh, with more after this. Just want to quickly remind you that we are destroying our electric grid. More information is coming daily about how the reliable source of energy we're not tapping into like we should. We have 800 years worth of coal left. Lignite.com for full details about the environmental ability of coal. Welcome back, Trent Loose. I hate to screw up a good story just because I think I got to roll out of here on a time frame. But, you know, it happened. <laughs> no. But literally, we just, it is a simple fact. Uh, most of us involved in animal agriculture tend to carry uh, the equivalent of a, a doctor or, or a vet, you know, a warehouse on the dash of our truck somewhere. Yeah. And or in the glove box. The, the sensitive stuff we put in the glove box. And then, of course, there's somewhere in there is a, a pistol, a rifle, um, some random chains that you might just pull something with, be it the size for a baby calf or pigs all the way up to um, a D8 dozer, right? And so... Not, not so, to mention the butchering knife that's in there somewhere. 
Exactly. And and then wire pliers, which to a city person looks like something created by a convict um, to <laughs> to uh, torture a cellmate, you know, and. Yeah. What do you do yeah, with the claw yeah. side of that thing? <laughs> yeah. Who are you stabbing with that? You, how, how accurate are you when you drive a nail that you can hit something with the pointy end of that thing? Yeah. Now, it's listen, it's we we understand that we're different, I think. Most of us do. Um, it is one of the reasons that I, uh, and maybe this is something we can talk a little bit about too. I, I get really, uh, Upset's not the right word because it's not upset. It's more like I get really disappointed in what's going on in agriculture. And it's this has been kind of a consistent thing of this whole need of me to actually denigrate somebody else in my industry in order to promote myself. Yeah. And we're really uh, good at that. Yeah. And the latest craze in that is what I call the homesteader class of producers that are convinced that they have the answer to every production problem that's ever existed in the past, and they've solved it in one fail swoop by watching three YouTube videos. Oh, and also maybe by having a great job in town, you know, that supports their 10-acre farm and or that they just sold a million dollar house or inherited some money someplace and decided to move to the Ozarks and and uh, and they have 10 chickens and so now they're a master of egg production and uh, don't forget they go on. to listen to a podcast yeah oh yeah yeah they listen to a podcast oh and then the, the icing on the cake is and I went to a, a, a University of Missouri, or yeah. it could be insert state here extension service meeting, yeah. right? So there now, now I'm an expert of all experts. Uh, Even who, the who, guys that work at extension will tell you that they're about twenty years behind. So, so I take um, it somebody peed in your backyard. <laughs> no, it, literally, I was kind of a little bit, I guess. My online backyard is big, right? But I got into I got into this kind of struggle with somebody I have a little bit of respect for, and and I thought it was uh, it was just interesting that in order to promote their their pasture raised uh, product, they were fighting for a, a system which will allow us to have basically unregulated packing plants at the local level that can sell directly to consumers and they don't really want any regulation as long as they're really small and i go do we really think that's a good idea do you really think it's a good idea to have a packing plant that can just do what they want well they our guys do a really good job you know i'm sure that's true actually um the question is do you trust everybody's our guy right um and and we have we have a regulatory scheme in place for a reason. I do understand this battle between us trying to figure out how to promote and push local and organic and uh, or even organic, right? I do support that initiative. I I think the end of my life that my focus is going to be about trying to move the food chain closer to the consumers everywhere they are because I think from a nutrition standpoint that it's vital. But but let's not kill people in the meantime. 
right? Till we figure out how to do it well. Let's let's figure out how to do this in a way that we don't spread E. coli and Campylobacter and the stuff that chickens just carry because they can, right? Uh, um, did you know the USDA says, Jay, if you sell less than 999 chickens a year, you do not have to have them inspected from your place? I Yeah, no. See, and that, it's exactly butchered. the point, right? Yeah, butcher chickens that may be frozen and in a wrapper right. and may have a label on it that says something like better than the big guys or something like that, right? And the truth of the matter is, uh, I'm not a chicken guy, so I can't say this from firsthand knowledge, but I believe, uh, I believe people when they say, hey, listen, this tastes a lot better because I do think um, that there's a flavor profile difference between ant, uh, between a beef animal that I take out of my pasture that I've finished and I take it to a processor and having processed, there's a taste difference to me. Maybe it's all psychosomatic, but I believe it really exists. And, and so I'm sure that chicken is the same thing. I like duck eggs, right? So I'm all about people raising ducks out here on my on my place because I like duck eggs every morning. Um, next, but I'm also, I don't need to, I don't need to try to dis destroy the competition in the meantime. That's number one. Number two, let's not forget that part of what makes our food system work in this country is the simple fact that we really do have a cheap food policy. And what that means is that in America, people don't starve to death for lack of food. They may starve to death because they don't have any money at all. I, I'm sure that's possible. And, and there are people that go hungry, but it's it's not because of a lack of available food supply generically. We've Again, we've talked about what may happen in the future, but today that's not the case. So let's not dismantle this thing uh, or destroy it or try to harm it or try to turn it all into like a California scenario where we insist that everybody has, um, you know, animals that are produced in the way that we think is appropriate. And so we want to impose that standard on everybody else because it makes our food really expensive. And you, we think we have opened like 12 different cans of worms here. Yeah. That we have to yeah. dive into number one. I don't want anybody to infer from my chicken statement that I support. There should be some, regulation or some uh inspection of me selling a chicken a lamb a cow to somebody that i butcher right here in no way shape or form do i think that should happen or should somebody tell me i can't yeah. sell raw milk if i had raw milk to sell it should be between buyer and seller when yeah. that goes into a retail scenario things change and rightfully so yeah. they need to change but I don't want to distract from your main point, which I concur 100%. And that is, and beef people seem to be the worst. You'll get the somebody worst. who's trying to carve out their little niche in the marketplace and they don't market why their beef is good. They spend more time talking about what's bad about the beef that you buy in a store. Right. That's, that's, that's so ill-guided and stupid and causes everybody a problem long-term. Well, and we, and, and the problem is they make these statements that we've, as an industry, we've been trying to tamp down the inaccuracy of things that people say about something really simple like hormones, 
right? This whole yeah, hormone. Absolutely. That's that a perfect up. example. It, in, in the big example of things, the, the amount of hormones that are in beef that naturally occur uh, compared to uh, 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 the same equivalent weight, the same four ounce serving of broccoli is, is infinitesimal. Yeah. Right. In comparison, the broccoli is the winner. It has a lot more, a thousand times more, maybe more than that. And and the, we don't really add hormones to beef. We actually use products that trigger a response in animals from time to time, but we don't add hormones. You don't pour hormones in a trough. It just doesn't work that way. That's not what happens. And so we, I, I watched this happen, and I used to just like raise cane about it, and I really don't care about the industry a whole lot other than the fact that I do like eggs, but I really don't care about the poultry industry a great deal. And I used to get all over those guys because they would go, oh, yeah, our chickens are hormone-free now. All right, hormone-free chickens when we come back with more J. Truett, Trent Luce. Roll route after this. A couple things I want to remind you about in this segment are healthy living. Two things. Beef, the most nutrient-dense food substance on the planet. Eat beef. You'll think more clearly. You'll make better decisions. You'll be stronger. You'll be healthier. Piedmontese beef is the most tender beef you can consume. Try me out. Test my theory. It's not a theory. It's documented. Every calf tested for the genetic trait to lead to tenderness. Details and ordering at cpbeef.com. And Dr. Nathan Bryant, the foremost authority on nitric oxide, had convinced me 17 years ago that I should be taking a nitric oxide supplement on a daily basis. The only supplement I take is a nitrate supplement every morning, no2u.com. Full details about the health benefits, the essential aspects of nitrates, and put Trent as your coupon code. Welcome back. Trent Luce alongside Jay Truitt. No Andrew Henderson today. He's hanging with some Dutch fellers. He'll have a story about that tomorrow on Across the Pond. All right, Jay does not like poultry. Why don't you like poultry? Uh, listen, I was just raised in a beef family that, well, I'm going to be, listen, I'll tell people a story, just like a 30-second story. I was about three years old. Um my grandmother apparently made the best uh, fried chicken that there was on planet Earth, and so I was forced to consume some of it, and I, near, I nearly literally choked to death. I ended up unconscious for an extended period of time um, over the end of a chicken bone, the little bone cap off the off the leg of a of a chicken, and and so honestly, I have this like physical reaction when poultry goes in my mouth and my body just still says hey that stuff will kill you and uh so i i really don't like it um i, I so let's stop there a moment we're gonna go back oh. to that but I'll, yeah there is no bigger change in dietary consumption in in our lifetime you're in my lifetime yeah. born in the 60s um than what chicken has transformed from into because all of us had fried chicken dinner at grandma's as a special treat on Sunday. And yeah. now you get chicken at every gas station. Yeah. 
you can you can have a chicken breakfast burrito at a bunch of places in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Every place you go. And yeah, and which just seems ridiculous to me. But again, I realize that I'm not the target consumer. Listen, and I will do this. I'll give the I, I give the poultry industry all kinds of credit for all kinds of things. What they've been able to do with feed efficiency and their ability to match nutritional needs with the genetics that they have, I believe is amazing. Yeah. I I I, I mean, it's literally, it's kind of like a, a, it's the same feat that we figured out on a lot of genetics in beef, but they did it times five. Uh, pork also has done an amazing job of figuring out how to match genetics and nutrition to a real exacting level and provide an environment that can actually maximize the growth of animals uh, at their peak efficiency. I understand the capacity to do all of those things. And again, I give them, I have huge respect for what they've done. I, I don't like the structure of the poultry industry, but I don't have an answer for that. And I do know I have personal friends, lots of them, that they paid for everything in their beef operation from profits from poultry barns. And so without one, you wouldn't have had the other, uh, to be honest. You shouldn't, certainly wouldn't have made that kind of progress. And, and uh, same thing in some pork complexes that have supported a lot of beef, beef enterprises, um, et cetera and other farming enterprises, and done a lot of positive things for communities. I get that. They they uh, they employ a lot of people. But let's, uh, you know, again, I think somewhere in all of this, we lost something. And I'm, one of the things that we lost, and we've talked about it in pork, I think to a certain degree, a lesser degree in beef, and to a great degree in chicken. I do sample chicken occasionally, literally just to see what the flavor profile still is. And I, again, I don't, I don't desire it. I don't like it, but um, I can tell the difference between it. And we started about 10 years ago, you know, producing a poultry product that was crap, just like we were producing a pork product that just was almost tasteless and flavorless for a little while. To qualify, and, the loin is absolutely tasteless and worthless yeah, for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, that's important, right? It was that specific cut that we ruined. And that used to be literally the best cut. It was like making a ribeye taste bad. Yeah. And you thought you couldn't do it, and all of a sudden we did it. The shoulder, you could slow roast that shoulder, and you'd still think it was the greatest thing that you've had since sliced bread, right? Uh, poultry, um, we kind of ruined it. I see it coming back, and I do see improvements in it. I am a consumer of eggs on a daily basis, right? And again, I have chicken eggs and duck eggs. We have chickens and ducks out at the farm, mm-hmm. and and the, um, duck eggs are just so uh, like creamy. I, you know what? I have come to really I like a duck egg omelet about as much as anything, right? Sprinkle a little sausage in the middle of that thing, and and uh, uh, maybe throw some jalapenos all chopped up in there. And I'm kind of a happy camper, so I, I've I really do like them. And it, it, and listen, this is not about what I like or even what you like. It is about trying to figure out how to meet consumer demand. The poultry guys Absolutely. have figured it out. To your point, and 
they decided how they figured out how to cut it up into tiny pieces and sell it really cheap. And now they've started ramping up their prices, and they're still keeping. They keep growing demand. They you we increase poultry consumption in America by about five percent every year, almost like clockwork. And the same thing is happening all over the world. Well, look at the the life of the wing, the chicken wing. Oh, Grandma my goodness, was cooking yeah. fried chicken. The chicken wing was a byproduct. Everybody tried to figure out who's going to take these things. Yeah. Now they're yeah. a profit driver because they're seventy five percent bone. Hmm. Oh yeah. And again, I, my qualifier is that's the only part of the chicken that I actually will eat because there's no meat on it. And, uh, but now <laughs> that makes perfect sense. That makes no I, sense whatsoever. <laughs> no, cause I like the breading that they'd put on them. And so I was fine with that. Right. But, uh, but now sadly they've started making chicken wings that actually have meat on them. Again. Yeah. There's some really, and you go like, yeah, you go like, dang drummies. it. Right? Yeah. You go like, well, darn, they've, the last, they've taken away my last bastion of, of safe ground in the poultry world. You know, I do, I do like to even eat ducks too, right? And so, and I realize I'm even more rare than most, a lot of people don't like the flavor of duck meat. I do, but it, it kind of reminds me of red meat on wing. <laughs> I can't say I've had a lot of duck. I've had it. Yeah. Back when in the well day of the political really fight, I was having a uh, pate. Is that what you call it? Yeah, were, I think it is. I'm they're not trying a, to make it illegal in Illinois and New York and yeah. California, and I was in the middle of that fight. I'm not a really a pate guy, so I <laughs> I didn't want them to ban it just, or anything. But if you didn't have to say it, you'd like guy. it better. Pate. Yeah, who, no, who wants right, to be a pate yeah. guy? Yeah, yeah, no, it just sounds <laughs> like you're trying to blend two words, yeah. right? And. uh or be French in some way, and that cuts against my grain. But the other thing you said that we have to expand upon is that there's more people in the cow-calf sector than any other segment of agriculture. More people own yeah. cows, and yet the number of people, the percentage, we're talking the percentage of people who make a living with cows is embarrassing. It's embarrassingly small. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, it's a single digit percentage. You mean uh, even people. in the Sandhills, some of these great cattlemen, Sandhills, cow calf guys, you go yeah. over a couple of Sandhills later and you'll find a turkey barn, not a turkey barn, but a chicken yeah. barn or a pig barn. And yeah. it's like, but it, but that's part of it. We, we went away from that diversity. We had that diversity back in the day and now everybody wanted to be a pork producer or a, cow, a corn grower or a cattleman whatever. there's something about that diversity so and and again so i will give i will give the homesteader crowd this this big prop uh, and a big pat on the back for this they have they have reopened a lot of people's eyes i think and the, the people that go out and do all the YouTubes and stuff, right? They give people a chance to see that, you know what? You can raise pigs in the trees and you can raise goats uh, on the edge of the woods. You can actually clear property with goats. If you, if you're really strategic about it, you can do a pretty interesting job of that. Um, there's a way to actually blend all the different animals together, right? And you, you can do that. It takes a significant amount of management 
and uh, to do that, but you can do it. Here's here's the thing, though, and I and this was the conversation I got into with one of the local people here. That again, he's decided to live like this, and he goes, "You know, I'm doing fine." I said, "Yeah, you are." How many other people did you feed this year? Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Well, I sold a I sold a calf, you know, and I made X amount of money, and this, that, and the other." I go, "Okay, so at the end of the day, you're feeding about ten people." That ain't going to cut it, brother. Right. That means that we need 100 million people doing what you do, and there's not enough 80-acre uh, tracks to do that. And so um, you you can be really critical of this, uh, of, of what happens in the commodity agriculture, but don't, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Um, you don't want to close every modern packing plant in the world just because you think packers are evil. They kind of probably are. So are retail meat buyers. They're kind of evil. If you've ever been on the phone with one of those guys, they can be just as mean and cruel and harsh uh, uh, a negotiator. But so Walmart, could my father. Walmart put more mid-sized packers out than anything that's ever happened in the food business. Yeah, because we, we I, I and I say this all the time, and this is nothing against Walmart. It's uh, uh, they can use it as a credit or a negative. I don't really care one way or another. But um, Walmart commoditized the product that that we were producing more so than anything else. So that they eliminated differentiation. Yeah. Because they did it in such and, big volume. And they forced the packer, whoever was supplying the product in there, to own the inventory and then take back what they didn't sell. And I, I personally yeah. know three people who got out of the mid-sized meatpacking business because as that evolved, they could not compete with that. Roll yeah. route, no. Jay Tr- Trent Loose. No, Andrew Henderson today. We'll be back with the last segment after this. Let's talk about farming for a moment, in particular pest control. Simpson Farm Enterprises, working alongside High Plains Apache, brings you innovation through technology and service, well, innovation is the technology and the reliability of the apache sprayer the service is the extra special touch you get from simpson farm enterprises with locations three locations in kansas one in nebraska but outreach to the southern parts of oklahoma and even into texas i was in chillicothe texas last well when was that last spring with Apache. Get more details at simpsonfarm.com. That's simpsonfarm.com or go to highplainsapache.com. When it comes to producing food to feed people, we have to manage the pest in some way, shape, or form. This is the best way to get it done. Apache Sprayer Technology. simpsonfarm.com. Will we have an Apache Sprayer on the tour? That's what I want to know. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose alongside Jay Truett. I cut you off. You're about to say something about your father. No, well, I mean, you know, if you negotiated with my father um, during his heyday, he would skin you alive if you let him. He, he was an old-fashioned let... mule trader, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they. He, my my grandfather used to make a 800 mile trek to buy cheap meals and sell them for way too much after he he got them trained i and so listen i you know i uh, my dad would trade cups of coffee with a guy in the restaurant right just and somehow or another 
by the end of the transaction, somebody has a load of heifer, right? <laughs> and my dad made a pretty good living doing that. And he's an, he's an honest guy. He would never lie to you. But he, if you let him take advantage of you, he would. And so, uh, listen. I bartered I, yesterday. You know what I bartered? What'd you, what'd you, what'd you swap? Um, I got goat's milk, fresh goat's Bingo. milk. And I gave for two quarts of fresh goat milk, I gave three doses of boar semen. Hey, that seems like a bargain. If the guy <laughs> had hogs, <laughs> if he had some. Turns out they have a sow, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if he's just raising goats, <laughs> he's, he's going to go like, well, yeah, these boar goats, they're supposed to be the hot ticket now, right? And so yeah. uh, he I gave me all the boar goats. I oh, wait a minute! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just Somewhere got that there. the boar. Yeah. You know, the boar makes yeah. the semen. The boar goat. Yeah. You got him confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So somewhere out there in the on the, in the hills of Nebraska next year, there's gonna there's gonna be running around some little spotted goats <laughs> that that look a lot like. Uh, Trent loses pigs. Loose change. It was loose change. Yeah. Loose change. Uh, no, I. So listen to me. So the question that we all have to answer in the industry constantly is: So what do we do about this? Right? right. I mean, what's the answer to it? And I don't profess to remotely have the complete answer, but I do know that part of the answer is to be con constructive instead of destructive. And to be honest, and the point that you made about the beef industry is really critical. Maybe we do in the beef industry have to relook at segmenting ourselves differently because not everybody is going to fit in the same little package. I, I tend to think that the best way to do, to do that is to, is to continually look for ways to move uh, our product systems closer to consumers and allow the rest of the, the the marketplace that has to move product a long ways to deal with the commodity needs in the industry. That's that's easy for me to say um, because I'm not the guy that owns a, a, a ten thousand acre corn and bean operation right around Cincinnati, right? right. Um, and that happens, right? That exists today. I've mm -hmm. driven through it a couple of times. I and, spoke at one, a great one, an yeah. hour from Cincinnati who had a, right. a landlord appreciation day and they brought people in and it was a fantastic yeah. event. Well, and you go and you go see that guy and he's figured out how to, he farmed some really good ground. Number one, that's good country, productive country. Those are good operators. They've been there. There are a lot of them are family operations that have been there mm -hmm. for a dozen generations. We don't want to, we don't want to interfere with that. Um, they are some of the leaders of, uh, of technical capability in the industry. But by the same token, their land is now worth, um, you know, $35,000 an acre if we'll subdivide it up in, in, uh, in uh, 7,000 square foot segments. Yep. And, uh, and pour concrete right through the middle of it. And that, and that we want to try to figure out how to stop. But I would like to see more buffer, more of the buffer zone being truly productive agriculture, where people people from the city who don't have a relative that ever grew up on a farm can go out and actually re-engage with agriculture. And 
but the responsibility of people in agriculture to do that, Trent, literally, and this is for everybody out there, is don't be an idiot when the people from the city come out. This is a learning experience for them. Be patient with them. Don't tell them they're stupid. Don't tell them that your way is the only way. Just try to actually help us build an image once again that says, hey, you can have safe, wholesome, affordable food in America, and here's why. You know, you bring up something that I experienced last week. I was in Frederick, Maryland. I'm back on the Maryland train where we started. But I had a conversation with a gentleman who was 88 years old, still working at a Southern States co-op in the feed mill and, and, and department. And he milked cows for 50 years. He's born right there in 1930, whatever year it was, 37. And he talked about how one of the toughest things for farming in Maryland, which is still a, a great farming state. People yeah. don't recognize that. Oh, absolutely. It is. Is getting from one field to the next. Yeah. Getting equipment from one field to the next is just a chore that we take for granted here. We see tractors and combines on the highway. We go around them, no, nothing flat. Tractor or combine or even an old two-ton truck on a two-lane road in Maryland. It's dangerous. Yeah. No, I mean, deadly dangerous, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and these folks and don't have it, patience to wait it out. They got to be somewhere now. Yeah. No. And I, so that is, it's part of that, right? Is what we need to figure out how we get across. Now that again, what's going on inside of our own industry here, this is just the discussion today about how we can police ourselves a little bit is try to figure out how you can, you can be, you can be supportive of the guy that is moving a 24 foot header and a, and a combine that is probably 17 and a half feet wide from tire to tire um, down a highway at the same time that you can also be supportive of the guy that is really trying to figure out how to do pasture-based egg operation here and sell it to an idiot in California. Um, we can do both. I mean, we can walk and chew, chew gum at the same time. The whole industry doesn't have to be that. But when some homesteader that built their operation around around an Amazon delivery truck pulling up at their house to deliver every single component that they use each and every day tells me how big and evil all corporations are um, that are involved on the other end of their industry. But yet, literally, they couldn't operate half of them without that Amazon-supported delivery truck. They don't go to the same supplier I do. Right. I go to a local Circle S feed, you know, and pick up my... Uh, my supplements and, and mineral, et cetera, et cetera. And I do it because I want that guy to stay in business. And so that's, I mean, and I have the choice to do that because I have income from off the farm. I'm that guy that we described earlier, right? That uh, my op every cow in, out here in my pasture, I can scratch them behind the pole of their head, right? Because they know I'm going to feed them a little bit too much on a regular basis, right? And uh, And be kind to them. Um, just because I, I love the animals and I love the industry, but, um, don't, that's not the example. I can defend both ends of the spectrum as long as both ends will be honest about what they're actually doing. Well, 
I even fall prey to this at times. We have this romantic notion that we can just go back to, you know, the small farms working together and we can. And it, and I agree 100% that the food system is going to move to more regional. It must just for a supply yeah. chain standpoint, it absolutely right. must be more regional and even more community based. But Agreed. the bigger picture is that, very few people understand the amount of food on a daily basis it takes to feed 330 million people. Yeah. And you, you, to your point, when you're talking to the homesteader, i.e. earlier, and he's feeding 10 people a year. Meanwhile, some of these corporations that we don't care for are feeding a million people a day. Right. A day a or day. more. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and so we, we just got to, uh, again, we just need a realistic conversation about this, right? And and maybe take a bit of a breath and we won't be able to, uh, we're, we'll be critical of the guy that can't wait to pass that combine. But at the same time, we ourselves are trying to race as fast as we can yeah. to adopt every single change, right? And I do think from once in a while, we just need to stop and go like, okay, what what really works? And how do I do something that's different that doesn't denigrate everybody else? I, it's fine if we want to compete. And if I put you out of business on a fair head-to-head -head basis because you just look at it, you know what? Good riddance to you. That, that I, and I really do believe that. Some people aren't made to be in agriculture, and they don't need to be because they're not cut out for it. That's the same thing as I'm not cut out for lots of jobs in the world, right? I, You know, there's a multitude of things I couldn't do from from being a police officer to a, a, an astronaut, right? But um, I, I couldn't be a lobbyist because I'd be like, are you kidding me? You're the stupidest elected official yeah. I've ever heard tell of. You know, it never works well as a lobbyist when you slap the member of Congress. And I can just, I, I can eventually see you get mad enough at some point that you just slap him and go, listen to me. I'm only going to say it one more time. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're ignorant. No, I. Yeah, Again, you took money we, from who? Yeah. Like, why would you do such a stupid thing? No, I. I just think that we we have a chance. I do think that in this age, and like we li we do live. There's a golden era here that's available. What you do, literally, and at the expanse that you do it. Ten years ago, you couldn't have done all of this. No, no. I mean, it would have been just uh, almost impossible. NBC could have barely done it, let alone right. uh, an individual company that you and your wife run and take care of, right, and make function. It would yeah. have been impossible. And that will be the final word of the day as we have successfully journeyed down the path. Come and see Jay at Quincy and at Brush on our journey. He's yep. going to be the the uh <laughs> the, the alpha and the omega <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, october 22 28 the... see us on the trail across the pond loosetailsmedia.com get the t-shirt ordered before sunday we both remind you all roads do lead to a roll route this morning on across the pond andrew henderson who did take time to join us on that he finally realized that our tour regaining control for the farmer is more than just coming to america to meet people and network it is truly about regaining control for the farmer around the world humanity is depending on it that's a true story 
Quickly, the tour, October 22nd, Quincy, Illinois, 23rd, Avalon, Wisconsin, 24th in Slayton, Minnesota, 25th, Aberdeen, South Dakota, 25th, McKenzie, North Dakota, 26th, uh, I messed that up, 27th is Broken Bow, Nebraska, 26th, McKenzie, North Dakota, and then on the 28th, Brush, Colorado. Full details and your wardrobe at loosetailsmedia.com.